Fry on LBC. Welcome back. Well, there's an awful lot to discuss here. Matters of the soul, you know, matters of politics um, and matters of our history. Soul searching on so many different levels. And let's face it, we've all had an awful lot of time to look into our souls and look into our lives and what really matters and what doesn't matter in the last two months of lockdown. I'm very happy to announce that my next guest is Cardinal Vincent Nichols. He's the head of the Catholic Church in England and Wales. Good morning to you. Good morning to you, Matt. How have you been in the last few months? I'm pretty fortunate. I've been busy. I've got plenty of space where I live and I've not been bored. And I've found it difficult more in the fact that a lot of the colour has gone out of life. It's become rather monochrome with Zoom meetings and emails. And it's almost as if I've had to try and learn a new way of fulfilling my responsibilities. But compared to lots of people, I'm, I'm really well off and privileged. And, and just, you know, cardinals and Zoom meetings, it's not something that you normally imagine, um, but, but, but that's what's happening, right? Well, it is. I mean, it, there are many interesting things about this period, many interesting. I mean, one of them that strikes me is the local has become much more important. The importance of the local corner shop, the importance of neighbours. You know, I had an email from a chap the other day, he said, I've never spoken to my neighbour. In fact... I've always thought good fences make good neighbours. But he said they came round to me the other day and said, are you OK? And the fences have gone. So mm. the, the, the way people have got on the street on a Thursday. So the importance of the local, I think, is something that we mustn't lose. But that has meant that we deal with distance in quite a different way now. We're dealing with distance with the help of, of the internet. And many people, I think, have found a new way of being connected with their family and certainly with their church. Uh, so, yeah, I've got to be in there with the mix. Being a cardinal doesn't separate you from all of these things. It makes... well, well, indeed. And of course, we know that yeah. the Pope himself has been on Twitter actually almost as soon as he took over in Rome. Yeah. Um, I mean, Pontifex Maximus, you know, tweeting in Latin, which I'm sure you are as well. Uh, <laughs> but he's, uh, he's got one of the biggest single followings in the world. I know yeah. he does. And as yeah. so he should as the head of the Catholic Church. Um, bigger, I want even to bigger get than to... yours. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Sorry. easy. Um, yeah. the, uh, don't worry. We're not going to do Twitter follower comparisons now. Um, I want to talk about worship and how we're going to get back to that in churches and indeed other places of worship in a minute. But first of all, your view on what's going on at the moment, you know, this this debate around statues, which statues should stay, which statues should come down, do you, for instance, think, as some people have said on this program, the Churchill statue should be consigned to a museum because that's where it can be given more context? Do you agree or not? No, I don't agree. I think um, these, these are such difficult issues. I mean, I, I've spent time listening to people and I've watched that film of the killing of George Floyd. Now, it's horrific. And, and I quite understand. I listen to people say that brings back floods of memories for many, many black people. So I, I quite understand how this is a really traumatic moment. Um, but we, we also have to struggle to understand the ambiguity of all history. And everybody's history is full of ambiguities. And what much more to me is that we teach history at a, at a, a less selective way. You know, 
there is an axiom that says history is always written by the victors. And and that's we've we've got to get away from. We've got to tell everybody's story. And, you know, my home is Liverpool. As a young priest, I was on the edge of the 1981 Toxteth riots. And two things kind of came out of that. One was the church leaders established a legal advice centre. And for so many people now, and for so many black people, they do experience a different administration of justice to somebody like me. Uh, mm. But then also in Liverpool, they developed the slave, this, the the modern slave, uh, the slavery of, sorry, the museum of slavery, and that's a very important thing. And I think that museum of slavery in Liverpool has, has offered uh, the statues that are more directly related to slave trade. So, so that we we can't hide our history. We need to approach it with an openness and a balance and a keen sense of understanding how this history shapes our present. And, and that goes right across the board. At the moment, the focus, quite understandably, is on the history of black people and what the inheritance is into which they, they try to live. And that needs opening up. I'll go back to Nelson Mandela's point. History is, is an education casing and an education in a history that is open and balanced and tells the whole story. But how much more do we have to do in this country to look into our past? I mean, most people didn't even know that Churchill had a colonial role to play. They'll be rather surprised by it. And the fact that they don't know surely is a sign of, of the relatively poor education that we've all received about our past and the poor level of conversation that we've had about our colonial past. Yes, I, and yes, I think that's true. I think that's true. Um, and, and you know, it, it is on every aspect. Uh, and it's only slowly that we grow in awareness of all of these things. And, you know, there could be lots of angles into our history that, that we just flip over and turn the page rapidly and not want to look at it. Uh, and and then you have to read the present in terms of this history. So, you know, I, I try to do quite a lot of work on modern slavery. And and the fact is there is many, there are millions of slaves in the world today. Millions of people are held in slavery. and And so, yes, the experience of that slave trade was horrific. And it has made a big contribution to the way black people are viewed. But it's a continuing issue as well. And it's not all an issue of the past. It's how the past relates to the present and how in the present there is always exploitation. But to me, the crucial thing at the moment is that we have a chance to listen to the upsurge of indignation and outrage that's sparked by that killing on the street mm. and we really have to understand all the echoes of that i was listening to a black church leader last night and he said as a boy he moved to another housing estate he said there was a playground down in front of their house there were just two black families on on that estate as soon as they appeared the next day there were graffiti but the fact that nobody did anything to remove them that was the thing that really rankled him and the, they were there for years. No council official, nobody objected. They just had to live with it. 
And, and that's the kind of thing we need to understand, to know what this burden is, this burden. Oh. Forgive me for going on, but John Barnes, now I'm a great football fan, John Barnes played for Liverpool, and he said the other day, he said the racial abuse he got on a Saturday was one thing, but he was more bothered about the Monday to Friday, rather hidden, deep, persistent prejudice mm. against black people. To your own institution, the Catholic Church, there's of course been an extremely poignant and, and vexed debate in the Catholic Church about the degree to which um, the hierarchy in the church tolerated, turned a blind eye to, in some cases even encouraged the abuse, the sexual abuse of children. Are there any statues in the Catholic Church that you would like to see removed because of what they say about the past? Well, you know, there's no, we, in, in Westminster Cathedral here, there aren't any statues. And on the whole, Catholic churches do not have statues of anybody other than saints whose lives have been mm. tested very deeply. Catholic churches on the whole... But are many not, of them are also popes, aren't they? Former well, popes some of them. Become some saints of them. And, well, yeah. they, that's become a, a, a bit of a, a thing that is more to do more recently. But... But but I think you know Catholic churches are not on whole memorials to historical people. Uh, we mm. we haven't done that. We don't have very few plaques actually in in uh, in tribute of, of former parishioners and things. We, but there we, are some great popes in the past, aren't there? There's sorry to interrupt, Cardinal. There are some great no. popes who have who have who have done extraordinary things in terms of the the art and the culture that they you know that they patronize, which we now enjoy. You know in in St Peter's and the Vatican Museum. But they were also deeply flawed individuals. Um, who yes, that's true. Weren't, shall we say, strictly according to the teachings of the Catholic no, Church. No, that's true. I mean, a classic example would be Caravaggio. You know, Caravaggio broke all the, the rules of his artistic context and began to portray figures like the Holy Family, Jesus and Mary, the shepherds, with dirty feet. He, he wouldn't take the kind of... Um, Putting of these things, the putting of these figures into a halo of otherworldliness. He wanted them to be rooted, but he was a, he he killed people. He, he he eventually was in a duel. He was you know he, he his life was chaotic. So there's nobody nobody whose life is pure, and uh, I think in a way what we have to learn is to accept that we're all flawed. And that we confess our failings and we rejoice in the strengths that we have. The, indeed, and some people might say that that's also, you know, if, if, it may, if we'd make it universal, that might also be the, the easy way out, as it were. But listen, I want to just move oh, on finally to... If I may, okay, but it's not easy. No, repenting of what you've done wrong is not easy. But it is liberating. Yes, Okay. Indeed. Okay. Let the final point then that we want, and very important. So churches are going to open their doors again, but to not to, to masses, but to individual worship. Now, we yeah. talked at the beginning of this conversation about how, you know, how useful, but rather soulless, if I can use that word, the, you know, the, the communication by Zoom is. If you're allowed to go to church to pray by yourself, but not to be a you know, part of a collective experience, as in a mass, does that really make such a difference? Is that so important? 
Well, I think it is, especially in the Catholic tradition, because we do have a, a right at the heart of our understanding of God's presence is the sacrament of his presence, and the sacrament is reserved in the church. So this gives people a chance to come into the sacred space of the church and to be before what we call the blessed sacrament. So that's a very particular focus. But I think what coming into a church can do, it can widen our horizons. One of the things that lockdown does is it, it, it closes down our horizons. But if you go into a church, you begin to understand again that, that life is lived before the gaze of God and that there is a distant horizon and, and that we kind of breathe more deeply. A young man in Liverpool said to me once, he said, don't you understand? He said, the stones of this church are full of the prayers of the people. So to enter a church, you enter, you remember that you're part of a much, much bigger story and people can sit peacefully there and recover their inner health, their poise, actually. Yeah. And, so it's an important uh, well, moment I, I, I agree. And I think it's very important, especially when you've been locked at home for such a long time, to be able to go to a third place, to another place, you know, to have that moment of reflection. Let yeah. me ask you more generally, and, do you think that lockdown it's different, and this it's experience of COVID-19 has made us more spiritual? Well, I think there are. There's a result of one survey I saw that that there was a dramatic, almost doubling in in the number of people who said they pray, uh, and and I think being in a lockdown, we do have to we do enter ourselves more deeply. Now, for many people, that's a painful journey, but it can also be a journey in which we touch again some of the tap roots of who we are, and therefore that we are people who, who are imbued with the Spirit, with the Spirit of God. You know, the thing from Genesis is the, the dust of the earth receives the breath of God, and I think that's something that never, ever leaves us. Yeah, we are dust of the earth. We know we've got, we're, we're mired in the whole of our histories we were talking about. We know our brokenness, but we always have within us the breath of God. And that breath of God will see us to an eternal destiny. And that's our dilemma. We're dust made for glory. And we, we go in between the two in this journey through life. I mean, people have been very cynical about religion in the past, and um, you know, churches, many churches, are, are you know, are far too empty, probably for the you know, for the likes of of you, Cardinal um, Nichols. How do you think this experience of COVID nineteen, of our own you know fragility, has changed our faith in general? Well, I think for many people, um, it 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 inevitably poses the question of, uh, if you believe in God, what's God doing with this? And why is this here? And that always happens every time there's a tragedy, every time there's a dramatic shift in history. But I think... How could we, God we all, allow a virus like yeah, this? exactly, exactly. But I think what we... we, we the, the better question to ask is, is, what does God want us to learn out of this? He's created a world that, that, that moves on its own rules. It's a cosmos. It's an ordered creation. And, and these things are natural disasters, if you like. Our question is, what do we learn from it? And, and I think one of the things we learn is that we are genuinely and radically mutually dependent. This has touched everybody's life. We're all in the same boat. But fortunately, through faith, you say, well, actually, we do belong together. Yes, we're forced together by this event. But actually...
actually we discover that we belong together because we have one source of life. We have one common father. And, and you know, a young chap said to me last night, he said, we have to show, this was a black leader again, he said, we have to show that actually we belong to another kingdom. And the other kingdom is the one that always seems to be just beyond our, our reach. But it's what we talk in religious language is the kingdom of God. We struggle to make it. We've seen a bit of it here. But it does depend. It does come down to this sense of we're not self-sufficient. And we know it. We know we're dependent on the guys who stack the shelves. We know we're dependent on the national, on the nurses. Suddenly, those jobs have become more appreciated. We've learned about our mutual dependence, and that then can carry us into an, a realization of our radical dependence on the Creator. One final question to you, uh, Cardinal Nichols. You know, whichever faith you belong to, or even if you're of no faith, what can you offer us? Uh, and briefly, if you could, what can you offer us as hope for the future? Well, my hope for the future is ultimately in the innate goodness of the human person, that somehow we know that we know deep down what is right, and we know deep down there's a purpose in our life. And when we pursue those things, then we can begin to build something better. If I could tell one more story, there was a wonderful interview early in this time of a nurse who was going back into the hospital. And the interviewer said, why are, you, why are you doing this? You're putting yourself in danger every day. And she said, it's who I am. I am a nurse and this is my life. Now, I thought to myself, they're the words that Jesus spoke. He said, for this, I have come into the world. So she had an innate sense of vocation, an innate sense of purpose to do good with her life. That's the sign of hope that I see. Cardinal Vincent Nichols, thank you very much indeed for coming on the programme.